0: Welcome to the African Point, brought to you by Being African in Africa, an initiative for sharing positive content and narrative. I'm your host, Luyando. On today's episode, we are glad to have our guest, Gabrielle Nina Mitch, and she's here to talk to us about mining in Congo. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello. Well, I'd like to start by thanking you for joining us today, and I guess we can just jump straight right into it. Um, can you please provide us with a crash course in the history of minerals and raw materials found in Kong? Um,
1: the DRC's main economic resource is um, its a mineral deposit mining. Uh, produces almost 90% of total export. The abundance of minerals in Katanga, for example, Katanga province, which is located in south-east of Congo, mm-hmm. was among just factors that attracted European powers to Congo in the 19th century. So like in Katanga province, we have copper, cobalt, zinc, cassiterite, uh, manganese, coal, silver, uh, there's cadmium. Uh, germanium. Germanium is a brittle element used as um, a semiconductor. We we also have gold. Uh, palladium, a metallic element used as a catalyst and in, in other materials. We also have uranium and platinum. The region west of Lake Kivu contains uh cassiterite, cotton. Wolframite, uh, beryl, gold, and um, monazite, also the rare metals of uh, thorium, and in, in Lake Hivu, we have a, reserves of uh, uh, methane, carbonic, and uh, nitrogen, uh, and we also have natural gases. There are deposits deposit of iron ore and gem quality diamonds in South Central Congo, while the central regions are rich in industrial diamonds. In the north East, they are gold, coal, and iron ore deposits. They are prospective deposits of gold, monazite, and diamonds in the Northwestern regions as well. Coastal Congo contains uh, bauxite, gold, and offshore deposits of petroleum. And um, the limestone deposit that occur throughout the country are considered to be among the richest in Africa.
0: Wow, well, that really is a long list. And yeah, that's just the minerals found. What about as asked for the crash course of the history? What's the relationship Congo has with the rest of the world and its
1: minerals? Oh, I mean only. Uh, site one, like the uranium, which was uh, the uranium from Congo, precisely mm-hmm. from Katanga province, which uh, was used uh, to um, to what to 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 create a bomb, in order uh, to make bombs, something like that. In Japan, the Hiroshima history. I, I don't know if you you know the history, yes. Uh, Hiroshima. Yes. So the materials used uh, to make that bomb. Was uh-huh. from here in Congo wow. in Katanga province, precisely.
0: I see, and i um, focusing on your reporting. When did you start reporting on mining in Congo?
1: Um, I started precisely in 1916. That's uh, when I started reporting on mining. So I reported on. Um, the dire transformation of a quiet residence area into a mining field boom with intensive mm-hmm. uh, environmental and social impact in uh, Kolwezi, which is a mining city located in the south of the Democratic Republic of Congo. And the grant was uh, funded by, by uh, USAID and the World Resources Institute. Two years ago, I investigated why um, amid the mining resource boom in the southeast of the DRC, electricity is really the case. I followed up um, on the theme in uh, 1917 as one of uh, uh, the five journalists investigating energy poverty and potential solutions in sub Saharan Africa for the 2017 Access to Energy Journalism Fellowship. Uh so our, our our mission was uh to detail how energy shortage is um mixed with uh I mean is uh, really lacked in that region of uh, of mine and yeah. also affects uh the social life of uh, people, local people.
0: I see. And Clearly, you've already done so much work with the reporting of mining in Congo. What drove you to cover these stories specifically? What was your motivation behind all this? Uh,
1: I'm, I'm a journalist, and I
0: mm-hmm.
1: also I mean, work in a country which is full of mineral resources. So yeah. it is my duty to work at any time in favor of freedom in the collection. Processing and dissemination of information, but also this freedom should not uh, lead me to stray from the truth of the fact and uh, also, I also played that uh, pivotal role in ensuring uh, that's a group of people. and also um, I use my voice for the voiceless. I also tell the stories that affect people in my region and then in my country. So I had that motivation to be the voice for the voiceless and also to be that person who uh, can uh, denounce, you know, um, uh, the bad behavior of some uh, institutions and also advocate for people in uh, in my region and tell the truth to the people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So clearly, you have a lot of a, a lot on your plate, but I guess that is your motivation seeing that that you yeah this is
1: one of my motivations. there are so many so i i i can't I can't you know um I wish I had time i would have what uh i would have told you everything, but mainly mm-hmm. those are my motivations
0: <laughs> <laughs> I see, and when you're doing all of this. Right. What personal challenges do you face during your time covering this story?
1: Okay, so having access to sources when you have to do mostly investigative reporting in Congo is mm-hmm. not easy. You just can't easily access those people who can answer your questions directly. You have okay. to introduce yourself sometimes mm-hmm. as a journalist working for an international media outlet to get people to take you seriously or to give you credit the people you talk to sometimes uh to to get what you need to hear from them are always afraid to speak out so they don't lose their jobs for example especially when they work for a company i actually understand Uh, for example for those who are working for mining companies i understand them why because many companies here don't allow the employees to speak on behalf of the company. I remember in 2017, I was doing an, an investigative uh, uh, story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the story was on uh, the reputation of uh, the dam project by a mining company. When I was talking to an employee of a company to get information, He knew it was to get, uh, I mean, I contacted him. I called him to have some information from him on what they were doing on that dam in um, one of the region here, one of the area here. Mm -hmm. I was right. I could write what he was telling me because that's what I wanted to to, to gather from from him. I could write everything that he could give me uh offered the phone and um, had to quote him on in my article uh, as a source. But once the article was published in um, one of the, me- the Canadian media outlets, uh, that employee had serious problems with his boss. He had not said anything bad that could harm his company. Yeah. But the fact that he spoke to the media really put him in trouble And I really felt very bad and guilty. Another challenge is um, the data that is not accessible to the journalists here in Mm -hmm. Congo. Everything is kept secret by the government or by the companies. Uh, We always have to wait for press releases or press briefings. We know that the DRC has signed, for example, a public-private partnership with China in exchange for the reputation of infrastructure. It's been almost 10 years now. But if you want to dig further and uh, Mm -hmm. have some information of, uh, like, uh, how many kilometers of road and how many buildings the Chinese partners have built so far in exchange of how many uh, tons of copper or cobalt, uh, you will never get, uh, Mm -hmm. I mean the answer of uh, that question. But the population also has the right to know through the media how this contract is evolving. The media is the the, the only link between the decision makers and the population. So these are some of the challenges that um, journalists like myself uh, face in the DRC. Oh,
0: well, I can only imagine what it is. Is going through not only trying to put together a story, but as you highlighted, where sources are very scarce and it's very yeah. difficult to collect information at all. Mm-hmm. So, well, I again I will I believe this that would be the theme of this podcast me commenting you on the work you're doing because clearly it is an uphill battle you're going through with all of this. But yeah, I guess it definitely. is worth it in the end when you are able to publish something. And Mm -hmm. with the work you're doing, what biases or preconceived notions did you have before covering these topics? And what changed after being immersed in this world of mining?
1: Uh, Honestly, I thought that information was served on a plate. That is, I thought it was easy to find all the information needed. Mm. Maybe because I started working as a simple TV and radio journalist, and I was too young at the time. I didn't understand why the senior journalists of my newsroom wanted to cover strikes in the mining companies at all costs. Mm-hmm. It was only after that I realized that uh, there was money behind it. Because oh. every time the companies had to issue the right of a reply, um, there's done, um, a strike in that company. They had to pay something back, and since I worked for private media at the time, many companies, many mining companies and uh, public institutions uh, were partners to uh, the media I worked for, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were not allowed at all to speak badly of uh, those companies. So that's um yeah um that's that's what I was thinking before really getting involved in um in this field.
0: I see. And are there any angles or issues around mining in Congo that African media or even the global media may have missed or have not really focused on enough?
1: Yeah, um the salary difference between expatriate and locals. The quality of jobs for locals, for example. It -hmm. is true that many companies make documentaries. Those who can, I mean, those those that uh, can make documentaries, Mm -hmm. and they say in their documentaries that they created jobs. Okay, it is true. They created jobs. But Mm -hmm. what kind of jobs? For what salary? Mm -hmm. The importance of uh, setting um, public institutions towards Uh, some realities in mining companies, the mining companies always come with, you know, sentence or words like, uh, the locals don't have the skills required by uh, mining companies. Okay, we don't have the skills you are requiring from from us, but let's assume that that is true. Uh, What do these mining companies to transfer the skills to local workers? Instead, when you go to a mining company, you find that 85% of the managerial positions are held by expatriate. with salaries that are 10 times higher than local worker salaries okay. and other benefits that locals can never have. These companies are too demanding to hire a Congolese candidate when it comes to apply for a position. Uh, So when it comes to an expatriate candidate, they -hmm. are less demanding. For me, I call it a colonialism form. This is another form of colonialism. I will give an example. You are looking for a Mm -hmm. communication officer. You require the candidate to have experience in communication and a bachelor's degree in communication. You have two Mm -hmm. candidates. One Congolese who has uh, the required Experience and another Western or Asian candidate who has no experience in communication and who doesn't even have a university degree. But since this candidate from uh, European countries or Asian country, uh, Asian countries um, uh, comes from the same uh, country as uh, the HR uh, or the recruitment officer, maybe another. Um, officer in the HR department that position will be given to that expatriate instead of the qualified person who has the profile you've been searching for. uh, for. So, you consider that you consider that that expatriate will learn over time, but you forget that there is another qualified person who. Um, has uh, the, the skills that uh, you required from a candidate, but you just you, you, you don't give him the job because maybe he's not, he, he doesn't have the same color as you, or maybe he didn't study in uh, an international university. You prefer to give the job to another person who doesn't have the skills um, that you requested. From a candidate. Mm-hmm. and this also happens under the watchful eye of the local authorities, who, for most, um, uh, I mean, most still, I mean, mostly witness this uh, kind of uh, reality. Even they even uh, grant the work permits to so, um, expatriates and uh, sometimes locals doesn't really feel safe in their own country. Expatriates should focus on training the local workforce to replace them after a given period. It's maybe a year or two. They should be more flexible, more better trainers, motivators, cheerleaders for the local workforce, workforce. There is also another angle which is tribalism in our country. There are small internal tribal conflicts within the country Like, um, such person from such province cannot hold this position because he's not from the province where the mining company is based. A person should be hired by meritocracy, like when you deserve something, you get it. Not because Mm -hmm. you are not from the province where the company is based. We are all Congolese and we all have the same right. So that's my opinion. I do
0: agree with you with that opinion, seeing what is going on and what has been going on. And the story you have shared is, as much as it's focused on one sector in one African country, I believe so many African countries and so many Africans can relate to that, where it whether you are either qualified or even sometimes overqualified for a position but you're never in favor of getting that position Mm -hmm. so it is a tough pill to swallow as it is our reality today as Africans and seeing as a journalist you are bringing this into life and I hope many more people can be having I guess the conversation of this issue we all face as Africans
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: and I would just like to focus on something else. Um, it, is com- it is common knowledge that the world at large cannot function without Congo's natural wealth, such as cotton from which we get our cell phones to function. Yet it appears reporting on Africa and the DRC is mostly always negative. What can you comment on that?
1: that, that the only image of the DRC is um, armed conflict, war, child labor, Mm -hmm. in the mines, artisanal uh, exploitation, corruption, because that's what the Western media focuses on the most. They rarely talk about these other companies that contribute to the development of the DRC. They don't talk about those companies that respect the traceability of uh, supply chain but always wait for the scandal uh, from these companies to talk about it. Should we only report on bad things as as uh, journalists? I don't know. What is um, the the job of uh, journalists? Is it uh, uh, only to denounce evil? I don't know. If there is an incursion of a rebel group in Beni, for example. It does not mean that in Goma and Bukavu there is war. It does not mean that in Lumbashi too there is war. The DRC mm. is too big. It's very big with an area yeah. of more than 2 million square kilometers. What happens in the east part of the country can in no way affect the southeastern part of the country or even the northwestern part of the country. And it is really sad that the local media or even the African media do not have the same power and influence as the Western media to change this uh, perception and change the narrative. In theory, a person living outside of Congo can easily say that DRC is, neighboring, uh, is a neighboring country of uh, Uganda, Rwanda, Zambia, so, um, Tanzania, Sudan, and um, Angola. Those who live in the Congo have another reality. These neighboring countries are located in four cardinals of the country. So Naf is mm-hmm. South, uh, West, and uh, for example, me, I'm in the South and I have nothing to do with Sudan, which isn't mm-hmm. enough of the country. The one who lives in uh, Mandaka has nothing in common with Zambia. The mm-hmm. country is very big because of the lack of infrastructure the provinces far from each other um, are as if they were in different countries. So that's the reality. You need to be in the country to know the reality. And it is unfortunate that we as Africans, we don't have you know those powerful media to have a large co- coverage and uh, also influence the public and the public opinion. Right. Makes
0: sense. But I guess I hope the narrative is changing i mean you are put in a position as an african journalist covering such stories i believe in due time as the numbers grow in journalism in african journalism specifically i believe we will be able to take control over our own narrative as africans and control the view people have and share of africa as a whole and Based off your experiences, what are some of the urgent needs some of the mining towns in Congo may have? What need to be done to highlight some level of fair dealing between the towns and the mining corporations found in the very town?
1: You know, security is... Uh- um, when security is lacking in main, in mining towns, companies are forced mm-hmm. to stop operations, close down, and put thousands of people out of work. Investors cannot come to an area where there is no security. Electricity has, um, has also been a serious problem and for the companies and the population. This uh, power outage is part of a much bigger problem in the DRC, which has... Uh, yeah one of the lowest electricity supply rates in the world. Only about 13% uh, 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 of the population has access to electricity, for example. Yeah. And the lack of power cost rates markedly with the abundance of mineral resources below ground. So if this electricity sector is improved, everyone will come out a winner. The mining yeah. industry offers a possibility solution to the country's energy prices, uh, Projects need power to operate. So, what if instead of generating their own electricity outside, mines could uh, become reliable and uh, essential customers and uh, uh, be independent power producers in 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 Congo? That would be that would be great. The local population also needs to benefit from the profit of. Uh, um, uh, I mean, uh, the profit that mining companies make from the exploitation of their land.
0: Well, Gabriel, going through this topic and conversation as a whole, I guess it's as being African in Africa is somewhat always focusing on the positive content, the narrative. You have somewhat cast a shade over it all is there somewhat a brighter future that can be picked up from all of this is the the hidden gem the hidden diamond found in the rough in congo based off your experiences covering all these stories what is the silver lining that can be somewhat focused on as congo and even bigger even a bigger picture as africa what is the silver lining in all of this
1: I believe that it is necessary to direct the future generation towards agricultural entrepreneurship. Uh, We must create jobs when we can't find it. It is not only minerals that bring in money. The government must also improve business conditions to encourage young people to stay in the continent and invest uh, in the continent. I think that would be ideal for everyone.
0: I do agree with you on that. Well, Gabriel, Nina, Mitch, I'd like to thank you so much for joining the African part today, as you did really provide us with so much information of the mining in Congo. I'd also like to thank you for the work you do as a journalist covering such stories and world country of DRC and I do hope to not only hear from you in the near future but at least also read some of your most recent articles as well so I'd like to thank you so much for joining the African Fund.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me I'm really really happy to be part of it.
0: Yes and before we just leave where can the people find you if they're looking for any of you?
1: They can find me they can find me on Twitter um, on Twitter, yes, and on, um, uh, what, Instagram, but also, I'm my correspondent of, uh, RF, RFI, and from time to time, Voice of America, and also, I write articles for different, for different, um, uh, publications so they can also google me <laughs> yes hmm. i can be i can also be found on google <laughs> and, <laughs> and yes and uh, yes that's that's where they can they can find me uh, twitter my 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 twitter handle is uh at mitch nina at mitch nina and same for instagram yeah so i will be waiting for the questions on uh, my twitter account
0: Yes, most certainly. Well, again, Gabriel, I would like to thank you once again for joining us today. I hope to see you soon. You're welcome. Yeah.
1: Inshallah.